Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star, then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Emma, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop. And today's program is in, in partnership with the Lymphoma Foundation of America, and we're delighted to be partnering with them today on this program and all of our lymphoma programs that we do. Um, and today's program is titled Diffuse Large B-Cell Lymphoma, or DLBCL, New Treatment Approaches. And today's program is supported by GemMab, and we really want to thank them for their support of this program today. Now before, and I just want to indicate that we have over 150 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Pakistan and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well. And we're delighted to have all of you on this call today um, for this next hour. And now it is my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. David Strauss, hematology oncologist, New York cancer and blood specialist, professor of clinical medicine while at Cornell Medical College. And Dr. Strauss will be addressing an overview of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in the context of COVID, Omicron, and seasonal flu, staging, grading, and current standard of care, treatment options for relapsed refractory DLBCL, bispecific antibodies for relapsed refractory DLBCL, and understanding how bispecific antibodies work in the treatment of relapsed refractory DLBCL. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Strauss. Thank you very much, Dr. Messner. It's a pleasure to join you this afternoon to discuss the most common non-Hodgkin lymphoma, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Diffuse refers to the uh, observation that in the malignant lymph node, the normal architecture is completely overrun with large lymphocytes that are probably a reflection of their fast growth. These are B lymphocytes, lymphocytes, as we'll discuss, uh, operate the body's immune system. The B lymphocytes are involved in the production of antibodies uh, that help protect against infection. This is the most common non-Hodgkin lymphoma. There is non-Hodgkin lymphoma and Hodgkin lymphoma. Non-Hodgkin lymphoma is much more common, and that's what we're discussing today. There is, it is not a single entity. Uh, the most common subtype is diffuse large B-cell lymphoma unspecified, but there's also T-cell rich B-cell lymphoma, primary uh, DLBCL of the mediastinum, which are lymph nodes in the uh, chest, intravascular uh, lymphoma within uh, uh, arteries, lymphomatoid granulomatosis, which usually involves the lungs and is associated with Epstein-Barr virus infection, primary cutaneous that involves the skin and others. There is also an overlap uh, of, very, of the aggressive, fast, very fast-growing diffuse large B-cell lymphomas with other high-grade lymphomas, and treatment approach is similar for both of these. 
We use the staging system still that was developed over 40 years ago for Hodgkin lymphoma, the Ann Arbor staging classification with modifications. It has its limitations, but it is still in use. This classification divides the body in half by the diaphragm, which is the muscle that divides the chest cavity from the abdominal cavity. So upper body is disease above the diaphragm, lower body is disease below the diaphragm. There are four stages. Stage one refers to a single lymph node site. In the case of non-Hodgkin lymphoma, there can be sites that are localized uh, that are not lymph nodes, so-called extranodal sites, most common of which is the stomach, and there are many others. Uh, stage two is uh, disease in two or more sites above or below the diaphragm, lymph node sites above or below the diaphragm. Stage three is disease in lymph nodes and or spleen above and below the diaphragm. And stage four is disease that's in uh, a site that's not a lymph node plus extensive lymph node involvement. There is an A designation for each of these numbers. A means no symptoms. B means fevers, night sweats, or weight loss. B symptoms are more common in Hodgkin lymphoma. Um, we uh, uh, stage uh, using uh, uh, various uh, imaging and laboratory studies. We look at blood counts, we look at uh, blood chemistry studies in particular. There's an enzyme called LDH, or lactic acid dehydrogenase, which is elevated in association with large uh, lymphomas that are fast-growing. Uh, we use uh, uh, imaging. The gold standard is the PET-CT, uh, and uh, this, this is also the major way we assess response. So areas that are positive before treatment should become negative uh, after treatment to constitute a complete response. In the era of COVID, uh, there was a consideration of uh, whether or not it would be safe to delay treatment. In the case of some of the low-grade non-Hodgkin lymphomas, treatment could be delayed uh, but in the case of diffuse large B-cell lymphomas and the more aggressive lymphomas, we were able to successfully treat patients uh, despite this due to the uh, rapidity of growth and urgency of treatment. The goal of treatment uh, for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is to achieve the longest unmaintained remission and hopefully cure. I'll first talk about the uh, standard treatment for uh, localized uh, uh, DLBCL, uh, stage 1E, and uh, stage 1E with uh, regional associated lymph nodes. Lymphoma is a systemic disease. Uh, that is, it's not a disease that starts in a particular lymph node and then spreads from there, like solid tumors start in an organ and spread from the primary site of a metastasized, this is a systemic disease of a type of blood cell called the lymphocyte, so that many areas can be involved. So uh, the mainstay of treatment is systemic treatment. That is something that's going to get to the cancer wherever it is. It's not surgery, and it is less and less radiation therapy, which only address local sites. Uh, so the standard chemotherapy is, for many years has been the combination of an antibody called rituximab, which calls into play some of the body's immune defenses to destroy cancer cells, combined with a very standard chemotherapy called CHOP, 
which stands for cyclophosphamide, doxorubicin, vincristin, and prednisone. Uh, so in early stage disease, uh, at first it was found that chemotherapy and radiation therapy, just local treatment, uh, resulted in better results than just radiation therapy alone. And more recently, it's been found that the radiation therapy is usually not necessary in standard risk or low-risk cases. So we use a shortened form of the radiation therapy that we use in advanced stage, the RCHOP regimen. We usually go for uh, three or four sites, uh, three or four cycles. Uh, we often will give three cycles. We'll do a repeat PET scan. If the PET scan is negative, that means there's been an excellent response. We might give an extra fourth cycle and then not give radiation therapy uh, in, usually unless in, in, in special circumstances. Uh, testicular lymphoma is one local lymphoma that bears some special mention because it's very associated with systemic spread. It's very fast-growing and is also associated with uh, relapse in the opposite testicle or in the central nervous system. So we use the same number of cycles and treatment that we do in advanced stage plus giving prophylactic treatment to the central nervous system where the drugs and rituximab don't usually enter uh, and uh, also radiation to the opposite testicle to prevent uh, recurrence in those sites. For stage three and four disease, six cycles of RCHOP has been and remains the standard of care for patients at high risk for recurrence in the CNS, as, such as testicular lymphoma, which I mentioned, but also lymphomas involving the breast, uh, uh, kidneys, and adrenal, we also add prophylaxis to the central nervous system, either with chemotherapy given directly into the spinal fluid by lumbar puncture uh, or other means of giving it, or high-dose methotrexate with something that blocks the, uh, the side effects of uh, methotrexate and allows it to enter the CNS. Um, so recently, there was a trial of a variation of the RCHOP regimen using a new drug, uh, a new class of drug called uh, uh, antibody drug conjugate, and this is uh, called polituzumab. So these antibody drug conjugates have one portion of the drug as an antibody that attaches to a receptor on the surface of the cancer cells. In the case of uh, polituzumab, it's uh, CD79B. Uh, the, attach, the other part of the drug is a drug, is an a, a chemotherapy drug. So the polituzumab attaches to the tumor cells, releases the drug, which is transported to the nucleus, causes uh, cell death. So a comparison of RCHOP versus R polituzumab CHP, which is like RCHOP substituting polituzumab for vincristine, showed similar but actually a little bit better results for polituzumab with very limited follow-up. So RCHOP, I think, remains the standard of care. Our polituzumab is approved for and is certainly an acceptable uh, treatment and may become standard of care with further follow you know, absolute standard of care with further follow-up. Toxicities are, the sim are, are uh, similar. 
Fast-growing lymphomas that are bulky, uh, the first cycle of chemotherapy can be so successful in breaking up a lot of tumor cells that they will release, re they will release things like uh, potassium and uh, uh, DNA, which is uh, made into uric acid, which can cause problems with the heart or kidneys. So for patients who have bulky, fast-growing disease, we do prophylaxis to try to avoid this, particularly the kidney damage, which consists of uh, intravenous fluids and drugs that either prevent the uh, production of uric acid or, if it's high, break it down. So uh, after relapse, I'll say something just about relapse and refractory treatment, uh, CAR T-cells, are the standard of care for fit patients, and these may even be elderly patients. I won't, this is really beyond uh, the scope of this talk, but these are taking patient lymphocytes, T cells, cytotoxic T cells that can attack and destroy tumor cells, growing them in a, in a tissue culture, inserting a gene that causes production of a receptor on their surface that attaches to the tumor cells and allows the cytotoxic lymphocytes of the patient to attach the, to attack the tumor cells more effectively than if they weren't attached. And uh, this uh, results in uh, unmaintained remissions in a reasonable percentage of patients. However, there are patients who relapse after that or for, who are not fit enough to have this kind of treatment, and there are several options. One of them is polituzumab, the drug I mentioned before, bendamustine, which is a chemotherapy drug alkylating agent related to cyclophosphamide and rituximab. And then there are some newer agents. One is a monoclonal antibody directed against another, the same receptor as the CAR T cell, CD19, combined with an immune modulatory drug, lenalidomide, which is a standard drug in the treatment of multiple myeloma. And that combination has been found to be effective. There is another antibody drug conjugate called lancastuximab, which is another drug that is directed against the CD19 receptor, the same as in CAR T cells, and delivers a different toxin than in polituzumab, but another toxin to the nucleus that destroys the tumor cells. This has uh, been approved for relapse refractory disease after two prior lines of treatment, two or more. And then, uh, lastly, there are two uh, antibody uh, bite uh, 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 drugs. Uh, bite response to bispecific T cell uh, engager. So this is a uh, antibody with two separate ends. One end has a receptor that attaches to the cytotoxic T lymphocytes, and the other to a receptor CD20 on the tumor cells. So this attaches to lymphocytes and then attaches to the tumor cells and is another way of bringing the tumor cells that can destroy, bringing the, uh, the cytotoxic lymphocytes that can destroy the tumor adjacent to the tumor and cause, it to, and cause it to be destroyed. Two of these drugs have been approved. One this month, epiridamid, was just uh, approved in the U.S. this month. 
and the one that was approved a few months ago was glofitimab. Both of these are bite antibodies and are approved for patients with, uh, uh, who uh, relapsed after two or more uh, prior lines of treatment. So I don't know if I'm a little bit over, but it was a big topic, and I'll end here. Oh, well, thank you so much, Dr. Strauss. That was a big topic, and you did a great job with it and worth the extra time. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and I know there will be questions for you during the uh, Q&A period. Um, and also, um, I just want to thank you for setting the stage for today's program as well. So people have a lot of information, and, and we'll have good questions to ask as well. And our next speaker is Dr. Adolfo Enrique Diaz. And Dr. Diaz is Associate Professor, Department of Medicine, Division of Hematology, Oncology, Mays Cancer Center, UT Health San Antonio MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Diaz will be addressing new and emerging treatment approaches, the role of clinical trials, how research contributes to treatment choices, tips to manage treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain, talking with the healthcare team about quality of life concerns, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Diaz. Uh, thank you, Caroline, and uh, thank you to the uh, Lymphoma Foundation of America for, for the invitation. Um, so I have a lot of uh, territory to, to cover here, so I'll go ahead and get started. Um, I'll start with the uh, new treatment approaches for TLBCL. Uh, um, so uh, first, uh, I'm going to touch base about a uh, three different a, uh, treatments that have been uh, relatively uh, recent uh, approvals by the FDA, and Dr. Strauss uh, briefly uh, mentioned those. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, this uh, newer combination that uses ARCHOP as a backbone, uh, but substitutes being Christine and uses uh, polatuzumab, which is an antibody drug conjugate. Uh, and so this combination of polatuzumab plus rituxan plus CHP um, was approved by uh, the FDA on April 19th of this year. So a uh, little, little uh, less than uh, 90 days. Um, this combination uh, was... Uh, indicated for uh, patients with uh, treatment-naive or newly diagnosed diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, uh, including those labeled as high-grade B-cell lymphoma that uh, patients may have heard as a double or triple hit. So the uh, FDA granted the approval based on overall response uh, rates. Um, when you compare kind of like a head-to-head efficacy against the uh, traditional standard of care, as uh, Dr. Strauss uh, pointed out. Um, it looks slightly better, but still the caveat here is that this trial uh, still has just a short-term follow-up, so uh, we're going to need more time and see how things evolve. Uh, but it is approved, uh, so that's one. Second one uh, is part of this uh, new generation of, of uh, uh, drugs uh, called uh, bispecifics. Uh, there's two of them. Uh, the first one's called epcoritinum. Ep- I will spell it. 
E C P O R I T A M A B Ecoritam, um, which is a construct. Uh, and this construct you may imagine as the letter Y. On one end, uh, it gets attached to uh, CD20, which is a protein uh, commonly expressed on, on lymphomas. And on the other end, gets attached to the T cell lymphocytes, CD3. So in other words, it, it brings face-to-face the army of T cells to, to the disease, to the lymphoma, and causes uh, cytotoxicity leading to cell death. That's the mechanism of action. Um, this medication was approved on uh, May 19 of uh, 2023, so last month, uh, and it's been approved uh, for its use after two or more prior treatments. Uh, one thing in common uh, that the uh, uh, biospecifics uh, have is that um, they have they have been approved uh, to be used in a uh, in a ramp up phase using a ramp up dose. Uh, what that means is that we start with with low dosages uh, for safety reasons, and then we slowly start increasing the uh, dosages uh, just to make sure that that patients can tolerate that. Um, so for this particular medication, um, it's been indicated. Um, for for as long as it works, so it does not have an end time, and there uh, unless there's disease progression on or unacceptable uh, toxicity. Uh, the second one is called glofitamab, G L O F I T A M A B, glofitamab. Same mechanism of action, uh, same effectors, so CD20 and CD3. And it was just approved a couple of weeks ago, June 15 of this year. Uh, same label, uh, so to be used after two or more prior uh, treatments. And uh, um, it's uh, indicated with the same uh, ramp-up uh, dose. Uh, the, the, the main difference in between this one and the prior one uh, is the duration. This one has been gained label uh, for up to one year. So it does have an end. Uh, moving on to the uh, upcoming, not yet FDA approved treatments, um, I want to talk about uh, uh, combinations, definitely. Uh, the first combination, which is still in uh, a phase three clinical trial, it's a combination of uh, particularly these um, biospecific, ecoretnamab uh, and ARCHOP, in the frontline setting for uh, patients with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Again, this is a clinical trial, it's phase three, uh, and we are eagerly expecting uh, results. Um, the second one, uh, still accruing patients, it's a uh, combination of these monoclonal antibody called Loncastoximab. It targets a uh, different uh, protein on the surface. It targets, it targets CD19. Um, and the trial is a combination of, of this newer molecule with uh, rituximab that targets CD20. And that's for patients who are considered unfit or frail for uh, chemoimmunotherapy. And it's in the frontline setting. Uh, this trial's name is LOTIS-9, L-O-T-I-S-9, 
Tila Cruin. Um, the next one, um, it's about to be launched. Uh, it's a very ambitious phase three clinical trial, um, global, uh, and it's, a uh, uh, basically, uh, an effort to move upfront, uh, CAR T therapy. So, uh, basically, uh, patients will be, uh, receiving, uh, chemotherapy for, uh, one cycle, only one cycle, and then they would be, uh, randomized, uh, on one-to-one fashion to either, uh, continuation of, uh, chemoimmunotherapy versus the, uh, investigational arm that's, uh, gonna be, a CAR T. Uh, that's, uh, the third one. Um, Lastly, on the uh, relapsed refractory setting, again, this is um, a, a clinical trial accruing. It's a combination of a biospecific and a monoclonal antibody. In this case, uh, lontastuximab uh, being the uh, monoclonal antibody. And uh, mosenotuzumab, which is a biospecific uh, with an FDA label for a different indication, but in this case, uh, the trial is a combination for patients with relapsed refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. So, so the message that I'm giving here is that uh, most of these uh, contemporary trials are looking at combinations of uh, immunotherapy or cellular therapy or biospecifics um, to be uh, uh, in the long run, probably to be considered the new standard of care in either uh, frontline setting or uh, relapsed refractory. Um, so uh, that's uh, what I have as far as new treatment approaches. Uh, moving on as far as the uh, importance of clinical trials and considering uh, uh, participation in clinical trials, well, um, clinical trials are, are definitely part of the clinical research and uh, at the heart of all medical advances, not just diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Um, these trials uh, look at new ways to prevent, um, detect, or, or, or treat disease. And treatments might be new drugs, as I was just saying, or new combinations of uh, drugs. Uh, it, all, it all as well encompasses a, uh, new surgical procedures or devices or new ways to use existing treatments. Um, in any way, the goal of uh, clinical trials is to determine if a new test or treatment works and is safe. Um, clinical trials can also look at other aspects of care, uh, such as improving the quality of life uh, for people with uh, chronic uh, illnesses. Uh, and also, uh, such trials uh, offer hope for many people and an opportunity to help researchers find better treatments uh, for others in the future. So, you know, you may, you may think what, what are the benefits? Uh, and I may say, you know, uh, people, uh, patients may get a new treatment for a lymphoma before it is available to everyone. That's a plus. Uh, two, uh, the patients, uh, play a more active role in, uh, the, uh, healthcare. Uh, three, the researchers, uh, and or investigators may provide a patients with medical care and more frequent health checkups as part of the treatment. Um, finally, uh, a patients may have the chance to help others get a better treatment for lymphoma 
in the future. Um, as far as how research contributes to, to treatment options, there's, this, there's different items here. One, um, clinical research information uh, that we can gather uh, help us to pave the way for an improved understanding of uh, disease and illness uh, in the future. Um, also, uh, both investigators and manufacturers um, are continually making progress on, on new medications that, you know, uh, will one day be prescribed to, to patients. Uh, and then I, I want to say that through scientific advances of, of course, trial and error, researchers uncover uh, answers to complex DLBCL cases that thousands of uh, Americans uh, face at, at this point. Um, now I would like to switch gears here, and I'm going to uh, briefly touch base about tips to, management, tips to managing uh, treatment side effects, symptoms, and uh, discomfort uh, and pain. Um, so, uh, one, it really depends on the type of, of treatment. Um, and, and two, you're always going to see hematologic versus non-hematologic side effects. So, if we start with uh, gastrointestinal symptoms or, or GI symptoms, uh, we're speaking of nausea, vomiting, and or diarrhea. So, one of the tips we can utilize here is uh, eating several small meals instead of uh, three large meals a day, right? So avoiding greasy or spicy foods and, and then keeping a, uh, uh, your head elevated for an hour after eating, it's uh, been proven to be really useful. Um, also, uh, the use of uh, anti-emetics uh, promote or, or decrease the uh, GI uh, motility. Um, mucositis, commonly known as mouth sores, um, are the effect of some chemo drugs that uh, uh, chemotherapy sometimes uh, can uh, harm and, and, and cause these healthy cells in the lining of the mouth to uh, to, to suffer. Um, that results in small and often uh, painful sores inside the mouth of the patients. Uh, and uh, even though there's no sure way to prevent the, the problem, um, one of the advices is uh, Talking on nice chips during the treatment, uh, it can, you know, reduce the risk. Uh, but also, if if the patient is still having pain, especially if it makes it difficult to eat and drink, then uh, you can ask your, your oncologist for a more powerful pain-relieving rinse or a topical medication. Um, another uh, side effect uh, here that we can uh, uh, face is, is fatigue. So, uh, Tiredness is, is probably the most universal side effect, side effect of uh, chemo uh, treatment. And um, even though chemo-induced fatigue tends to be cyclic, this is something which is cumulative. Um, believe, it, believe it or not, one of the best ways uh, to uh, combat this is it's to a uh, exercise. And I, it, it doesn't have to be going to the gym by, you know, just, just uh, taking a walk and be extremely helpful. Um, other ways to ease exhaustion include taking short naps uh, or uh, rest breaks under 30 minutes during the day, uh, and sticking to a regular sleep-wake schedule uh, also helps. 
moving on infections uh, are another common uh, side effect for which uh, hands uh, hygiene and prophylactic uh, antibiotics and antivirals is something that we commonly uh, do as practitioners. Um, peripheral neuropathy, which is a tingling on hands and feet, is, is something that we commonly uh, see, and uh, patients may notice this as difficulty picking up objects or buttoning uh, clothing, uh, problems with balance, difficulty walking, hearing loss, those are common symptoms of a peripheral neuropathy. Those symptoms can build over time, and uh, uh, some patients don't notice them until they have had several chemotherapy treatments. So what to do uh, uh, easily, uh, you know, uh, wear harm and uh, dry clothing in, in cold weather. Um, you can also protect your hands and feet by wearing thick socks or thick mittens or gloves. Uh, you can also take intermittent breaks from the cold to reduce the exposure to extreme uh, temperatures. Um, limit, limit or, or, you know, uh, decrease the uh, smoking and limit alcohol um, because, uh, you know, these, these practices definitely decrease the uh, peripheral circulation and uh, increase the uh, risk of, of peripheral neuropathy. Uh, exercise. Exercise uh, improves the overall circulation, so that's also uh, advice. Uh, and on our end, we can also make uh, some tweaks to the uh, chemotherapy regimen by decreasing the dose of the chemo or increase the length of the cycles and maybe a uh, medications to a, uh, mitigate the neuropathic uh, pain. Um, those are the the big ones uh, that I have, and I think that I'm going a little bit over time, uh, Caroline. Um, well, thank you so much, Dr. Diaz. Um, that was outstanding. Just a wonderful presentation, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Belita Cowan, and uh, Ms. Cowan is the president of the Lymphoma Foundation of America, and she is our part organization on today's program and all of our lymphoma programs. Um, and she'll be discussing Lymphoma Foundation of America's free programs and services and their patient helpline and their website information as well. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Cowan. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for inviting us to partner with Cancer Care. Lymphoma Foundation of America is a national cancer charity that provides free services and programs for lymphoma patients. If you know a patient, or you are a patient, we're here to help you. You can call us at 734-424-2000 or go to our website for more information. For example, Lymphoma Foundation of America gives travel assistance to lymphoma and leukemia patients to help with your transportation to and from your doctor appointments. We can also send you a list of many organizations that provide financial help for prescription medicines, health insurance, legal help, and family assistance for pediatric patients. Lymphoma Foundation of America has counselors you can speak with to answer your questions. Our goal is to help you better understand your situation 
so you can make informed decisions about your health care. We welcome family members to contact us as well to learn how to help as a caregiver and as a patient advocate. Again, our phone number is 734-424-2000. Lymphoma Foundation of America gives grants and awards to cancer researchers who are dedicated to finding a cure for lymphoma, who are developing new treatments and studying environmental causes of lymphoma. Please visit our secure website, www.lymphomahelp.org. We have helpful information on second opinions, clinical trials, lymphoma diagnosis and staging, and of course, there are inspirational stories from people who are sharing their journey to recovery. It is my deep pleasure to participate in today's panel, and thank you, Dr. Mesner and Cancer Care, for the excellent information we have heard from Dr. Strauss and Dr. Diaz. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Cowan. That was outstanding. It's just a wonderful, uh, really, resource, the Lymphoma Foundation of America, for all of you on the call today. And I should let you all know that you'll be receiving a Survey Monkey evaluation at the end of today's program, and you'll be getting all of the websites, telephone numbers that were mentioned, were mentioned, were mentioned, and will be mentioned during the call. And um, so, just it's not just an evaluation, but you'll also be getting some resources. So be sure to take a look at those resources so you have them at your fingertips. And I'm just going to say a few words about Cancer Care Services. I'm uh, Carolyn Mester. I'm Senior Director of Education and Training with Cancer Care. And so I'd like to go over with you Cancer Care's free programs and services. We are a national organization, and many people call our HOPE line at 800-813-4673. And when they call the HOPE line, one of our 40 master's level trained oncology social workers answer the phone. And usually when someone calls, they have a specific question, which the oncology social will address. And then we'll then go over all the services we offer. So I'm going to give you a snapshot of some of them. Um, first of all, we do offer practical financial and co-payment assistance, which means a great deal to people in terms of getting just that practical help. Kids Care was founded in 1944, and that, was, that has been one of our important um, services that we offer to people. And we also offer online support groups, and those online support groups are for people of all different types of cancers, um, all different types of lymphoma, all different types of cancers in general. And then we also do offer um, online support groups for young adult caregivers, older adult caregivers, partners, spouses, family members, friends. We, there are lots of different types of support groups, and so if you go to our website, you'll be able to see all the different range of support groups we offer at www.cancercare.org. In addition to that, we also do offer many workshops. Um, last year we offered um, about uh, 80 workshops in the year on different uh, types of cancers and different topics as well. And we also offer, of course, publications um, and many different publications both on cancer types and different types of lymphoma or different types of cancers in general, all the different cancers, and also on different topics, um, for example, um, coping with the holidays or being a caregiver um, or um, adherence, taking your medication on schedule, mm -hmm. 
many, 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 many publications and fact sheets. Now, we also do have an interesting program called a pet assistance program um, that was developed over the past couple of years, and it's a program for people who have a cat or a dog, and they are too ill to either walk their dog or change the litter box. And so we do pay for someone to help with, with that service, um, and that makes a big difference to people. Um, and for those of you who have pets, you know how important they are. It's part of your family. They are part of your life. And for some people, that is their family that is the, who is with them all the time. So um, I hope this helps you just have an idea of just the general services that we offer at Camp for Care. And now um, we have time for questions. I'm going to ask Emma to explain to all of you how to uh, queue up the questions, and I'm going to have her bring on all of our speakers so we can address your questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will take questions from the web only. You may submit questions by, by clicking Ask a Question. So we have a question, actually, from um, one of our participants. Um, for Dr. Strauss, me, my sister, and I have had DLBCL, so I'm worried I, it could be genetic. Should I have my kids tested for specific biomarkers that indicate a predisposition to DLBCL? That's an excellent question. Um, and there are some families where more than one immediate family member will have a lymphoma. Actually, it is better established in Hodgkin lymphoma than in non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Uh, but there are no particular genes, normal genes, that people inherit that seem to have been identified that seem to predict an increased likelihood of getting lymphoma. I mean, there are other, there are genes, the most well-known, I think, is the BRCA gene for breast cancer. People who carry this gene, which is a normal gene, uh, are at increased risk of uh, acquiring breast cancer and ovarian cancer. Uh, there is no such gene for lymphoma. So this is an area of active investigation. We have uh, Oral Sloan Kettering has a genetic service that has been exploring the uh, possibility of such genes that would be predictive, and none have been found so far. So the, the answer is there's really nothing we can do to screen, uh, and there's nothing we can really do. If, if even if we could, in the case of breast cancer, you can have prophylactic bilateral mastectomies. You can have your ovaries removed, and so on. If you're at very high risk, nothing like that has really been identified. So my answer is that there may be some genetic thing going on, but we have not as yet identified it, and there's really nothing we could do about it. So hope that it's. Uh, coincidental and not genetic, but I don't know. Thank you so much, Dr. Strauss. And a question for Dr. Diaz, um, a side effect question. Nine months after treatment, I still do not have any B cells. Any suggestions to achieve them? Um, and any B or any T cells? Any B, any B cells. B as in boy? As for, yes. Okay. Um, well, it, it really depends, uh, that's, that's called uh, immune reconstitution. And uh, it, it really has to do, one, uh, with the uh, 
age of the uh, person that was treated to uh, with how many lines of treatment this person has had in the past, and then uh, three um, with the uh, uh, intensity uh, and dosage of the prior uh, treatment. Uh, one fact we recognize, which is, uh, I want to say, common to uh, most of the uh, newer uh, combinations or, or uh, treatments uh, which are part of the uh, armamentarium uh, and is uh, the fact that uh, most, if not all, depress the immune system and it can be at the, at the B or, or T level. So you would you would see that as what we call infopenia. Um The short answer is uh, no. Uh, this is one of the uh, things that uh, we explore uh, as far as, as uh, you know as part of the safety uh, piece when we are designing clinical trials and exploring for safety. Uh, uh, but. Then once once we cross that bridge of safety and we demonstrate efficacy, uh, we we typically prophylax patients with you know antibiotics and antivirals and and monitor patients uh, in order to decrease the, the the chances for for opportunistic infections. But as far as uh, immune reconstitution, there's nothing really that we could a uh, uh, offer patients to uh, help to improve. Thank you so much, Dr. Diaz. And a question um, for Dr. Um, Strauss. Um, this is a long question, if you can address it in a general way, probably. I had a T I had T cell treated by I had T cell treatment by CHOP in an auto stem transplant. Two years later, I developed B cell, which went into remission by itself, and we followed up with rituximab as cleanup measure. Since then, I've suffered from numerous sinus and upper respiratory infections. And my, immune system, my, my immune system immunoglobulin levels are very low. I've gotten IgIV treatment, which seems to solve the problem currently. I'm taking that to try to get rid of a year-plus sinus infection. Has there been any headway with any drugs that will help the immune system recover to normal levels? Long question. Uh, the short answer is no, but I think that uh, the treatment with uh, immune globulin is, uh, is pretty standard for patients who have low immune globulin uh, as a result, uh, possibly at least partly, of treatments and are prone to infections, particularly sinopulmonary infections, sinus infections, pneumonias, bronchitis, and the like. And uh, I have patients who I've maintained on IVIG for years, and uh, in many of these, they had current, recurrent, frequent infections, and this has been pretty much eliminated or made quite rare. But there's no other new treatment, as Dr. Diaz uh, indicated in the previous uh, discussion. Uh, that can actually boost up your own uh, immune globulins. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and another question for Dr. Diaz, what does um, supportive care look like for patients with DLBCL? Um, well, diffuse, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, and, and in general, the treatment encompasses not just treatment of the patient, but, you know, uh, social support. What I'm saying is that... Uh, 
uh, supportive care it's not just uh, prophylactic uh, antibiotics antivirals uh, but also uh, a common measures such as you know hand hand, hand hygiene and uh, you know uh, using uh, uh, mask on 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 uh, those times of the cycle where you can uh, predict the, that the uh, opportunistic infections can can come, which is which is typically at, at mid cycle. Um, when I tell patients about the you know the masks and and, and uh, you know easy facts such as you know uh, don't go to to church when it's too crowded or or try not to go to chop uh, groceries at, at big times, things like that, you know, the conversation was largely different before and after the pandemic. Before the pandemic, that was the conversation. After the pandemic, um, you know, uh, and, and even during the pandemic, everybody was using masks. So it was it, it was good to the extent that we could uh, mitigate the propagation of, of infections. We are going back now to more uh, normality, I would say. So the, the conversation of the masks uh, remain relevant. Um, uh, other than that is uh, supportive care with uh, anti-medics for nausea, vomiting, uh, medications for diarrhea. Um, there's medications available for uh, mucositis. There's medications available for uh, peripheral neuropathy. Uh, and, and with that, I guess we, we pretty much cover the supportive of care piece. Yeah. Um, thank you for the commission. Uh, this is the last question for Dr. Um, Strauss. Is surgery always necessary to treat DLBCL? Um, short answer, yes. Uh, there are uh, low-grade lymphomas, which are very common, uh, which may not require treatment, but I sometimes uh, tell patients that there are two types of lymphomas and maybe two types of cancers in general. One is what we think of when we think of cancer, which is scary disease that once it's diagnosed, you really have to start treatment as soon as possible to get the best outcome. And that's what we're familiar with, with the word cancer. But there are other cancers that are really what I would term chronic conditions, uh, where the goals of treatment are different. I mean, they're not to get long-term unmaintained remissions and hopefully cures. They're to control a chronic condition that you're probably not going to cure. And there are many analogies to this. Uh, that are not cancers, for example, high blood pressure, diabetes. You can control these things. They're chronic conditions, but you're never going to actually cure them. Diffused large B-cell lymphoma falls more into the traditional former category. That, that is, uh, cancers that to get the best outcome, we usually, under most circumstances, would want to treat a diagnosis. And is surgery um, a part of that or not? Um, well, again, these are lymphoma is not a solid tumor. That's the other distinction I make. I talk about scary cancers and I talk about chronic conditions. And uh, there are uh, there are solid tumors which are usually begin in a particular organ 
localized and then spread from that so-called primary site, such as colon cancer that can start in the wall of the colon and spread to lymph nodes around the colon, can spread through the bloodstream to other sites. We call that metastasis. So for solid tumors, the treatment for localized disease is usually is typically surgery to get rid of it. Lymphoma is a systemic disease. So even if there is only one site that seems to be involved, if you just remove the lymph node, it's possible that uh, that may be all you need, but there is a very good possibility that it will show up in another place in another distant lymph node. So the, the interpretation of that would not be that it metastasized from the original lymph node that was removed, but that there was disease present even uh, earlier that was not detectable and eventually had to grow large enough so that it was detectable. So in general, with lymphoma, we use systemic treatment, which is chemotherapy, immunotherapy, uh, and this type of treatment, which gets to the treatment wherever it is, it gets to the disease wherever it is. Excellent. Thank you so much. And now, um, as we're about to conclude the program, I would just like each of our speakers, so starting with Dr. Strauss and Dr. Diaz and Ms. Cowan, to kind of um, give a takeaway for our audience to take away from today's program. Um, so. Well, I think... Uh, I think the takeaway is that uh, lymphoma, although it's a systemic disease, the fuselage B-cell lymphoma, it has a very good chance of uh, properly treated to uh, getting rid of it, what we would term a long-term unmaintained remission, and if it never comes back, that's tantamount to cure. So that's our goal and the outlook, you know, for many patients is, is good for effective control and possibly getting rid of it. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Diaz? Yeah, I will, I will echo uh, those remarks. A uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma has been, is, and will continue to be treated uh, with a curative intent uh, as, as we uh, keep uh, you know, battling and, and treating this disease, we are uh, going to be able to, you know, hopefully improve the outcomes and uh, at some point, uh, hopefully, um, completely uh, be able be able to uh, completely uh, eradicate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Diaz. That's a very inspiring. Thank you. And Ms. Cowan. Thank you. Um, if you are listening today and you're a patient, a family member, a friend, or know someone who has lymphoma, we're here to help you. And please give us a call or contact us through our website, and we have resources and assistance for you. Thank you so much, Ms. Cohen. And I'd like to thank all of our speakers. You've been phenomenal. I want to thank our participants as well for asking such great questions. I have to say the interchange between our speakers and our participants has made this call really very special. All have done this program before. I think this call was so much better because of the great questions and our great speakers. Um, I do, I recognize that there are many of you in queue that we have not taken your question just because there are so many questions in queue. So I want to say something about those of you. Um, if you if you asked a question and got an answer, if you have a question in, that is in queue and hasn't been answered yet, and if you're thinking of a question, 
please, each of you, take your questions back to your treating healthcare team with the information you've learned today. So take that information back to them. Um, and they, of course, know you the best. They have your medical records in front of them. And they can be more specific with you about your situation. So, again, that's very important to do. Uh, also, um, we do not want anyone to feel when you leave the program today that you're alone. Although it is, of course, very tempting and normal to feel alone when one has um, diffuse sludge B cell lymphoma or any type of cancer, but one does feel somewhat alone or, or somewhat different from everybody else, please, we don't want you to feel that way. We want you to know, well, we recognize you will may feel that way, but we want you to know that you're now part of a community of support. And you have the lymphoma research, you have the lymphoma Foundation of America as a resource and Cancer Care, and there are many other organizations as well. And when you get the SurveyMonkey evaluation from us, there will be all of those resources that we mentioned today in addition to the evaluation of today's program. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's workshop. You may now disconnect.